We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you could trade a bench warmer for the greatest of all time, you'd do it, right? Get your business a game-changing pickup by choosing the commerce platform with the internet's best converting checkout. That's Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling satin sheets from Shopify's in-person POS system or offering organic olive oil on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you're covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify, me, Charlotte, is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash truefaith, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash truefaith to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash truefaith. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. Newcastle beat Brentford by one go to nil at St. James's Park on Saturday at 5.30. Massive win, second win of the season. And I'm Alex. I'm joined by Johnny, Adam and Sai to talk to you guys today about what happened, why and what we think happens next. We're on Patreon. It's between three and eight pounds a month. We're going to Milan this week. We'll have Sheffield United away. Come and join us for what is a massive week for Newcastle United on that platform. Loads of podcasts planned. Would love to have you with us for the ride Johnny, I'll start with you, mate. Newcastle won, Brentford nil. Thoughts? A win was the most important thing, and I know that's probably the most boring cliche in football, <laughs> but it was what we needed after the three defeats in a row, and I know there was different reasons for those defeats, but it was just about getting the three points. I thought Callum Wilson summed it up in his post-match pretty well. Just get the three points, and then we'll take it, and we'll improve from then on. But, um, yeah, it, it wasn't the best game, probably for a neutral point of view, but from a Newcastle fan point of view... It was very much, look, 
by any way or method. Let's just get three points going into it. As you mentioned, Alex, a very, very big week. I think for the whole city, we needed that win just to kind of go, right, let's look forward to AC Milan because we've got the three points in the bag. We've got two very, very winnable Premier League matches after that as well. But in, in terms of the actual game itself, it was a hard watch. Um, but I think we grew into the game. I think we had a be- obviously a much better second half than we did first half. But um, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't for the faint heart at times. <laughs> is, that, is that your feeling, Adam's sense of relief or something to it? Yeah, I mean, we needed the win regardless. Like, everybody's right saying, oh, we've got the three points, that's all that matters. But I'm actually quite heartened by the overall performance because it looked like, I think it very much was a case that we grew into the game and we, we did get better as it went on. But I think Brentford's, had everything right when they started. They had they were set up really well. They knew how to you know where to press the buttons, where to try and like get at us. And I think the team deserve massive credit for sort of managing to manage that on the pitch, which is something we didn't do against Liverpool. Turning the game on its head and then really sort of growing into it to the point where I think by the second half, Brentford would really become a non-entity in an attacking sense. They were trying to sort of sit as many men behind the ball as possible, which is something we really really struggled with last season every sort of like disappointing result we had was because we couldn't break down a team doing what Brentford were doing and yeah I mean more goals would have been nice more fluid attacking football would be nice but when teams are doing that to you if you can get a penalty if you can get that scruffy goal which we should have had allowed before that that's fine that's absolutely okay you get the three points you get out of there and you play your best stuff some other day Tuesday Probably, Tuesday, hopefully, hopefully yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I can't add too much more to what you guys have said. Needed, we absolutely needed that. Um, I think I said pretty much exactly what Adam said to you last week, Dodds. Um, I'll take a goal off someone's arse. I'll take a you know a, a scruffy one nil win all day because we needed the three points. But there's a bigger game this week, and this lets us enjoy that now. If we hadn't got the win yesterday, I think um, Tuesday becomes more of a distraction because you think, oh, bloody, the league form's not good enough. Whereas this is, a, you know. Reset now, six points in the league. It's not brilliant, but it's good enough. And now we can enjoy the Champions League for what it is. But yeah, I think we ticked a lot of boxes yesterday. Clean sheet, massively important. We've needed one of those for a while. Um, you know, we got better as the game went on rather than for the last three games, we were worse second half. You guys have already said it, but I think it's quite important to point out that that's a massive change on the last three games. So yeah, just relief was my overriding feeling yesterday, but I'm just pleased, like you say, Adam, there was, there was lots of positives to take from the result itself and from the way we got the result against the Brentford side who really did just turn up to, to stop that game from happening. Yeah, I, th- I think it's worth pointing out as well. That was Brentford. Like a lot of people going into the ground, like certainly who I knew and I saw on social media were like, we should absolutely be winning this game. I th- heard people saying they thought it was going to be comfortable. Brentford are a really good team. Like I think I'm right in saying they were unbeaten up mm-hmm. until this point in the season. Anything would have been a good result today. Like we, we, we didn't get wins last season because we just turned up. We got them because we fought and we battled and we played really well. And I thought yesterday was was that all over. I think, but you know, you're right. Brentford are a top ten Premier League side, and there are a few pleasing aspects apart from just the win. Mm-hmm. Number one, Brentford come and I think completely adapt their game. I don't. I've watched a fair bit of Brentford. I remember watching Brentford at Liverpool last season, and they they, they caused Liverpool all sorts of offensive problems. Game game ends up one nil. Brentford, I think, have two disallowed on VAR. They're really, really good in an attacking sense. Yesterday, Brentford thought, we're going to put everything in to beat Newcastle United here. We're going to play long ball. We're just going to get the ball forward quickly. We're going to put the ball in areas. We're going to play like a 7-3. We're just going to leave the three big lads up top. We're going to put the ball in unspecified areas behind their back <laughs> four. We're going to try and turn them around. If Sam Allardyce had a team in like 2004 in peak Allardyce era and, and turned up and put in a performance similar to what Brentford did I wouldn't have you know it wouldn't have been a who, who is this yes Brentford played the ball nicely in their own half yes they played the ball at the back they've got some good technical footballers but I think Thomas Frank after last season's 
5-1 humiliation and then also the problems that they caused us at their place. That was Thomas Frank, Frank putting everything into getting a, a result at St. James's Park. They've gone there expecting almost they can at least get a point. In that first 20 minutes when Brentford were not all over us, but certainly in the ascendancy, I think, yeah. the team and the crowd deserve such tremendous credit for coming through that. No one was getting on the team's back. There mm. were no boos at halftime, despite the fact that Brentford's goalkeeper hadn't been forced into a save. It was just a good day all round for all of us. The manager doesn't have to make three mad subs on 65, which kind of ruined the whole <laughs> template of the second <laughs> half because, because he doesn't have to, because we're not chasing a game or trying to force something. Everything just went pretty well yesterday. And like you say, Sai, we're not allowed to just think about individual games anymore. Like that's yeah. what we've had over the past couple of years. Even with the League Cup run last season, the, the fixtures in the lead up to the final were not difficult fixtures on paper. And, you know, even when I walked out of Hillsborough, 2-1 defeated last season, it was like, well, we will beat Leicester on Tuesday because we will. We don't have that now in the Champions League. So, so, the, so winning this game allows particularly me, who, who, who I'm the most important person to me as a fan, but us as fans to enjoy this we can look ahead to Milan because look at the BBC headline yesterday Eddie Howe gets win to relieve pressure on him and that wasn't pressure from Newcastle fans or not any I know certainly but that had become the prevailing narrative over the international mm. break who if Eddie Howe doesn't have a good week this week he could be under real pressure Talksport are going to have a field day there's going to be all sorts of discourse but is he actually under pressure all that bullshit which I fucking hate is just gone and now we just look ahead to Tuesday and then Sheffield United after that and like you said, Johnny Burnley after that, Newcastle have now got three games where it's not inconceivable. They win all three or, or, and come out of it in an excellent in excellent shape looking ahead. In terms of the crowd yesterday, I always keep to get your thoughts, lads, because you're in the corner. Adam and Sai, you definitely were. Johnny, you're Gallagher, are you? Yeah. I just thought that the noise second half, even at nil-nil, was unbelievable. I just felt like, and it's such a cliche, everyone in the whole stadium was together, singing off the same page. This wasn't a good performance first half. There wasn't much to shout about. There wasn't lots of attacking play. We didn't get in behind Brentford at all, really, all game because of the way Brentford set up. What was it like, Sai, actually, in the corner? Um, see, I would say it was quite edgy. You're, you're absolutely right in what you said. Nobody got on the team's back. Nobody was, like, getting disgruntled at how it was going. But there was some nerves. It was quite edgy early on. But you're right. It was all quite positive. Like, everyone just wanted to win the game so badly. And I know we're going to get on to Craig Pawson's performance, but I feel like some of the stuff that happened ignited the crowd and probably helped in a, in, a, in a weird kind of twisted way. We needed a couple of incidents. We needed the disallowed goal to get us going. We needed a, something to, to fight against because the game was such a dud of a, of a footballing occasion. It, it, it was quite hard to keep that energy going. So it, by the second half, we needed some stuff to happen, and it did. And to be fair, I think the... Uh, the, the missed opportunity was at Bruno in the first half. It was yeah. probably the only real thing that happened, but that was like... A, that was it. Yeah, hang on. We can't beat these. We are going to beat these. We just need to kind of focus it and get and get there. So, yeah, I thought the crowd was good. I think you're right. Um, we got used to some of these games last season where we've already become an expectant crowd. Um, as you said, Adam, everyone I was speaking to before this game was predicting three, four, five nils, um, and probably naively, I was one of those as well. By the way, I'm not. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not yeah. trying to pass the book, um, but. We, we, it, it, it's when it doesn't happen, we've got to get used to that and, and try and kind of be that 12th man again because it was easy in the early days when we were not expecting to win any games and, you know, it just was, was just nice. Um, these are the games that's important and I think the crowd really did itself justice and I think it did, as you say, feel like one big united team of, of fans, players, coaching staff again, which is just nice to have back. Yeah, it, it was. I think, uh, obviously, me being in the upper Gallagher, it was, it was very much the same. And what I would say is that Craig Paulson, and obviously probably going more about 
his performance as a referee later on, but it was those odd decisions. You're going, how can that be a foul? How can that be a foul? And it was like an us against the referee mentality at yeah. times. But I think there was little moments in that first half because we were finding it difficult to break Brentford down. They were very compact. It was you know very much side to side, which it was for the majority of the time that Newcastle were attacking. But there was one or two little moments. The Elliot Anderson threw ball to Harvey Barnes, who lays the cross in. And, you know, on another day, Callum Wilson gets there. It's 1-0. Mm. Those little moments sparked the crowd. Anthony Gordon, I thought, who was electric for most of the game. Harvey Barnes, I thought, grew into the game. Those little moments were the, were the ones that the crowd really thought, yes, come on, let's, we're getting there. We're getting close. We're getting closer. Um, obviously, that was more in the second half. But there was those little glimpses in the first half. I don't think anybody lost faith. Yeah, with Eddie Howe and what he was doing in the first half. But you've got to remember, we're playing against a Brentford side who finished in the top half, has been unbeaten so far, and we didn't have Alexander Isak, Tenali and Jolinton who would probably start as well. That that just shows the depth that we have in this squad now that we can go into that sort of game against that sort of team at that level and go, yeah, we're really we're comfortable enough to think we're going to win and we're going to make sure we do anything that we can to win the game. The final point on this as well, I thought Kieran Trippier yesterday was absolutely amazing. I really, really did. I have to, both both fullbacks. I know everybody will have that whinge about Dan Byrne going forward, and there was moments like that, particularly second half. But defensively, to get him to just do the job, you can't really ask for two best better fullbacks, and we've got two fullbacks on the bench that cost seventy million quid potentially. That's just bonkers for me. I don't think you can underestimate the importance of a dodgy refereeing performance in a game like that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not, I'm not even joking. Like, you need in a, especially when you're coming off a bad run of defeats, you need some sort of uniting issue in the crowd. Now, normally it's like good chances because everybody likes a good chance, and that's get gets everybody on the same page. But when that's not happening, like you know, you get a misplaced pass. Some people applaud the effort. Some people criticise the player who's missed it. You miss a chance. Some people applaud the build up. Some people criticise the miss. You need something happening on the pitch that everybody is on exactly the same page about. And if you're not making chances, you need some sort of injustice going the other way because then the players, the fans, everybody, they are sort of united behind how they feel about that, and that raises the temperature within the stadium. Like I thought, the best thing that could have happened was, ironically, was that goal getting disallowed because the players were foaming and everyone in the stands was foaming. Nobody could understand it. And as soon as that happened, I was like, "We'll do these now." Like, yeah. that, like everybody's bloods up. We'll absolutely smash them now. I want to get your thoughts. I'm going to come to you, Adam, on on the individual um, errors or. Decisions from the referee, but just want to tell you guys from my Milburn stance yesterday, you get the big screen on the top of the level seven glass yeah. for any VAR decision that's made. And yeah, the disallowed goal basically, you saw the ball go into the box on the screen, and then they put um, Brentford's substitution of two players who I don't know who they are <laughs> instead. And I just felt, is this a bad one? Is this one that would cause a riot <laughs> if, if, if the whole state or half the stadium? actually got to see what happened because you were just like live it looks like a goal they're not even willing to show us the replay which by Premier League rules are supposed to I'm sure it was just an error but um yeah t t take me through the the three big ones then Adam your thoughts well the first of all the disallowed goal we I mean we were like yards from it mm. and uh, it sort of dropped you saw it was bobbling about and it went in and when you don't get a full picture of the goal because obviously you know it's all happening very quickly there's any kind of sort of to and fro in and pushing and pulling like this is going to it's going to get look we're going to be here a while regardless of what happens but we initially thought he'd given it we initially thought he'd given the goal and they were going to review it but based on what we saw we're like well that's probably the correct decision because it didn't look to be anything wrong with it but maybe somewhere something's gone on and then all of a sudden you just started noticing the players getting more agitated and more agitated and more agitated. So, hang on, he's not actually, he's not, he's not given this. So we thought it must have been a Paul or Wilson's head. You know what Wilson's like? He loves pulling a goalkeeper's drawers down. So we thought it must be something <laughs> like that. Having watched it back now, that's one of the most 
baffling VAR. That, that's one of the decisions VAR is supposed to be there to stop happening. Yeah. Like a referee doesn't give that goal and they go, actually, you know, we've looked at it and I get how everybody's coming together, but there's actually nothing gone on. You should give it. So it's it's a simply nuts decision. And if that had ended up costing us two points, it would be a very different podcast, this. I mean, I'll just really quickly, I, I completely agree with you. I think the referee in the VAR, they look at Callum Wilson's arm re- bringing yeah. down the goalkeeper in in this reality, in this gravity that we all use every day yeah. as a species. <laughs> that makes no difference to actually what happens in that little bit of a football it match. It doesn't stop him catching it the doesn't ball. Stop, the, the error is the error, regardless yeah. of Wilson. And Paulson did that thing yesterday, both in this goal and for the penalty that, well, he gave two penalties, but the, first, the, the penalty that stood... He gave himself almost some thinking time, which you very rarely see from referees. And I want to criticise it because I want to be critical of things that go against us. But also, I probably think referees are looking at thinking, well done, give yourself five seconds. And for for our penalty that was given, he walks towards the linesman, I think, to check that the contact was still on the pitch, that Gordon hadn't... So so I thought he was genuinely terrible yesterday. But... It's, I think he was somewhat overwhelmed because rarely do you see a referee give themselves five, six seconds to make uh, a decision. Uh, yeah. Uh, penalty? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I was going to say, I think the reason why he gives himself five or six seconds because the view that he's got, he just doesn't see it. And I think because the defender's in the, on the eye line where, where, where the keeper comes out, he can't really see Gordon because Gordon's on the side of where the linesman is. I think he's basically just saying the linesman, has, has the keeper committed a foul? I don't think he actually sees it because... It did take him that long. I think if he sees it quickly, he'll make a decision quicker. I don't think he's actually doing it because he's thinking, I'll give myself five Come on, Johnny, let, let, let us just get into the bloke without this. I, know, and I, I, I don't want to defend him too much at all, but I, I do I do think that he's, I think the linesman's actually the one that's made that decision on the, on the day. I don't think the referee at all has. But again, that's, poor from him because he should be in a better position I was going to say the referee's job is to make sure that he's running in the right direction to make sure he's got exactly. a perfect view his of job is to get happening. the view yeah. literally that's part of the role um, I think a lot of times there was there was this hesitance I'm not going to call it giving himself time to make a decision I think it was hesitance and then there was a few times which got us got our heckles up as, as home supporters my, um, where, my heckles were up <laughs> <laughs> where um it was just little free kicks around the pitch where he'd given himself five seconds and waited for the players to react and he definitely yeah. gave two or three decisions Brentford's way after they reacted to a, like a, a non-foul because four of their players were kicking off. He's like, oh, okay, then free kick. Like 100%, he was not sure what to do in almost all of these situations. And the goal, he was like, well, my watch is going, but I've got no idea what to do here. So I'm going to sort of, did he give the goal? Did he point no, towards well, the... No, we, we thought he, he, he had initially, but he had Well, he allowed, he allowed Callum Wilson to get into the corner and do the salute celebration. Yeah. To me, if, if Callum Wilson has, has, has enacted that arm movement, the goal should stand automatically. Yeah. It's yes. too long to wait. We have to move on uh, to part two of the show. Just want a really quick point. If you, Adam, you said should have been a goal. Sai was a penalty, yes. Thomas, Thomas Frank is enraged, but he tends to be when Newcastle play him. Can I just catch him? I don't think it is a penalty, you know. I, th- I think I'm I think I'm alone in this, but I don't think Anthony Gordon's got any chance of getting that ball under control. I think it's it's completely gone. Um, I was baffled it was given. I don't care, but I was like absolutely astonished. It, it, it really depends on your angle. The angle from the keeper's point of view, it just looks like a really rash charge out, and he, and he just goes into the man, doesn't get anywhere near the ball. You're right, the ball is pretty much gone out of play. It's yeah, probably he's, he's never it's got probably it soft, but he's given himself that decision to make yeah. because he's disallowed that goal. It's like he's almost got to give this pen because he's already but made a really rash. One of the key things for the pen is it is a catastrophic error from. Brentford centre back, yeah. terrible back pass. You don't get penalties for that, though. Yeah, no. no I'm, oh, my, yeah, my point is that it's nice that it was the opposition gifting us yeah. the massive offensive situation rather than Newcastle. Newcastle have been doing this 
in spades the last few weeks. Mm. It's nice to force that error. And then, Johnny, I'll come to you then for the final word on part one. Um, second pen that was overturned, correct decision? I've seen them given. Hmm. I've seen them given. I can just, I can, and I've seen the Sky commentary. I can't remember who was the, 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 the commentator, but he said it would be very, very harsh. But you've seen them given every single week in the Premier League. I, I have to be honest, I think, I, I think it is a penalty. For them, I, I know it's very, very harsh, but the, I know it's so, I know that the argument is the close proximity. I think you see them given more than you don't see them given. His arm's in the air. Exactly. It's in the air. Like should, that's not a natural position for your arm to be. But the, my problem is, is that VAR will go, right, go and have a little look at that, but they won't look at the goal. For the, for Cannon Will, Cannon Will's they, did, they did look at the goal. No, I mean, yeah. as, but actually get the referee right, to go yes. over and have yeah, a look yeah. because the referee has the best view in the, in the pitch for that second penalty. Yeah. And he gives it pretty much straight away. He doesn't give himself the five, six. Yeah, yeah, he goes, he goes, he hey, that's a penalty. But the thing was, the whole Gallagher... I think most people on the ground knew straight away it hit his hand. It was just, for some reason they thought that it was just, it's just too close. But I'll go back to the point you've seen them giving and it's just very frustrating, but it didn't cost us. It's like Adam said, we would have been talking about a completely different podcast if if it, it was a draw because it would have been the, the Craig Paulson show wouldn't mm. have been Newcastle one Brentford nil. Some penalty from Callum Wilson. You have to have a lot of confidence as a footballer and as a man to side foot a penalty into the top corner of the goal. <laughs> Don't worry about the power. It's all about the accuracy. Yeah. And Brentford's goalkeeper went the right way. He predicted it perfectly. Couldn't get near it. Okay, we'll leave it there for part one. Thanks so much for listening this far. A couple of adverts coming your way. Uh, you can get this podcast completely advertisement free, which includes me even referencing them on our Patreon platform, £3 a month. Back after these. If you could trade a bench warmer for the greatest of all time, you'd do it, right? Get your business a game-changing pickup by choosing the commerce platform with the internet's best converting checkout. That's Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling satin sheets from Shopify's in-person POS system or offering organic olive oil on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you're covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify, me, Charlotte, is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash truefaith, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash truefaith to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash truefaith. I want to talk about Newcastle's midfield yesterday. We started the season with Newcastle fans or some Newcastle fans and mainstream media saying, is this the best midfield in the Premier League? It only took a couple of weeks for people to say, is this the worst midfield (laughs) in the Premier League? It doesn't work. There's no balance. We need this. We need that. These lads are shite. All of that. Uh, Sai, start with you. How did that new look midfield get on for you yesterday? 
probably the best midfield I've ever seen uh, now. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought balance-wise it was there. Uh, they're, they're, they're not the three best midfielders we have. I'm not saying for one second that Longstaff one of them is. is. One of them is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk specifically about Bruno uh, as this podcast goes on because I think he's back um, certainly from about 40 minutes on. He just found himself again. Early doors, we were struggling to... Um, to deal with their press. They were pressing us really well. They were making it really difficult, pushing, heading us back in. And we were struggling early doors to play through that. And it took Bruno to kind of say, right, this is my job. I'm going to put my foot on the ball. I'm going to get us out of this press. I'm going to pop off these passes. And we got there. Um, Longstaff for me, is, it's, it's just so vital to how that works. So because he's, the ground he covers, he was up and down. He was literally everywhere again. This is the Longstaff we got used to last season. And I was really impressed with Anderson. 90 minutes for Anderson at home in a win, in a clean sheet. Huge, huge for him. And I thought... Uh, yeah, we, we talked about Brentford having a bit of a threat on the break, but it wasn't coming through the midfield. It's kind of balls into the corners for these big lads, like you say. Um, I thought we, we managed that game really well in midfield. And yeah, again, against better oppositions, you probably want the, 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 the big lads in. But I think Anderson and Longstaff have given Howe a selection headache ahead of future Premier League games. I think there will be rotation for Tuesday, just such as the, the closeness of that game. But I don't think any of them would deserve to be dropped, quote unquote. Adam, you wanted to talk about Bruno, so the platform is yours. Uh, yeah, I've been a bit concerned about Bruno for a number of months, even towards the end of last season. Like he's a, like it's, this is no criticism of him. He's a fantastic player. He, he is the the one unsellable asset in that team. If you want to keep playing the way we play, in my opinion, but there's just been either a, a willingness for opposition teams to target him, or just just a, just a, his levels of performance in terms of his intensity, his ability to beat a press especially, just appear to have dropped off. And I'm glad you said he did seem to sort of come alive again in the second half, because I thought he was fantastic in the second half. That was way closer to what we used to expect from him. But the first half, again, was sort of kind of been indicative of the problem. Like, the way our midfield works is we don't, we don't have a defensive midfielder in there. Bruno doesn't charge about winning the ball back. He doesn't put the opposition under pressure. He's not that kind of player. The way we play is Bruno sits there and when teams try to press us, Bruno just wipes the floor with them. He either goes past them, he plays through them, he runs through them. He's got all these different tools for doing that. And I think towards the very back end of last season and sort of definitely the start of this one, he's really struggled to do that. Now, whether that's because other teams have got a better plan for him or he's just not at the level himself, I'm not totally sure yet. But for whatever reason, that isn't working. And that's meant the entire sort of midfield plan around him effectively has started to, to fall away. And I don't know what the solution is. I hope it's just maybe a fitness thing. Maybe just he's just a little bit off his level and he needs to get back there. But if that isn't going to work, then it's not the two players either side of him that need rotated and changed. We need to think of an entire other way of playing. A couple of things I noticed yesterday about Bruno. Number one, neither Anderson nor Longstaff run towards him particularly when he's got the ball, whereas Tonali mm. very much is drawn to the ball, if, if we, particularly in our half in possession. Jolinton, not so much, but it's almost like the midfield become incredibly close together, mm. which makes it, in theory, easier to stop them getting out or easier to defend against. Whereas yesterday, Longstaff and Anderson, I thought, were really disciplined. Yeah. When the team were in possession, but without the ball, also... Anderson and, and Longstaff, what they do is they're far more willing just to get the ball and give it to Bruno and not really think about too, <laughs> yeah. about too much more, whereas, whereas the other two will look for other options, will carry the ball. So maybe maybe that works better for Bruno. Obviously, it's one game against an opposition who played very defensively in terms of the, the amount of men they got behind the ball. Um, what I also noticed about Bruno yesterday is just, again, this could be a fitness thing. This could be, I mean, he's been playing for Brazil. It could be a confidence thing. Yeah. It's moving the ball very quickly. He, 
in previous games, and that was kind of embodied by that Liverpool error that led to Liverpool's winner, he wants three or four touches in the part of the pitch that you're very rarely going to get three or four touches of the ball before then finding a pass. Yesterday it was it was pass and go, pass and go. Pass, advance the ball forward, Bruno run forward, get the ball back, look for another pass. And it just, like you say, Adam, it just it just looked right for him. It just, yeah. it just looked, he looked settled. It looked like he understood what was required of him, what his teammates wanted from him. And as the game went on, Brentford had very little answer to him, I thought. Any time they tried to, to press him, he either moved past him himself or the ball was gone before they got there. That's the Bruno we know and love. Thoughts, Johnny? Yeah, I can only echo what you're saying there, Alex. I, I thought that was, uh, I know it was would be Aston Villa 5-1, but I think that was his almost his best disciplined performance as well, which is quite bizarre when you talk about Bruno because he's not he's not that player really. He's, he's, he just let him go, let him, let him be free. And he, he was, he was particularly second half. I think there was a little moment in the first half where yeah, I think it was just a bit of skill and then it was everyone was shouting Bruno, Bruno and it was just towards the, it was towards um, where Dan Byrne was and he just drove up the pitch and you think oh that was that was a bit like more like Bruno that we, that we know and love but second half yeah he, he, he certainly dictated how how Newcastle were going to go forward and you know he has the ability to unlock defences with passes and he is our, still our best player in my opinion but the one thing I think he needs around him is energy and we've spoke about Longstaff we've spoke about Anderson Eddie Anderson in particular really needed a start I think he deserved a start he warranted a start and I think not that Brentford was the perfect opposition for him because it's, it's still a difficult team but I, I think Anderson grew into the game I thought the first 15-20 minutes I think it took a little bit of time from actually getting into the game and, you know, there was a couple of moments where you know he was getting tackled and we talked about Brentford's press and I think that I think that um, harmed Anderson to a point we can't I keep saying this every time I'm on this podcast Sean Longstaff does so much work off the ball to allow Bruno to do what he wants to allow Anderson to have those little moments as well and you know Sean Longstaff will still get criticism for not making a perfect pass or you know not linking certain players in but what he does as we've mentioned in terms of helping the team generally is such a massive massive impact and we all had this fantasy of, you know, Sandro Tonali, Bruno and Joe Linton because they're the three sexy names. But the most, sex, <laughs> the most sexy name that Newcastle United needed was Sean Longstaff. And I know that not many people... I mean, it is literally Longstaff. Like. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, I, when I was thinking about saying that in my head, I think this isn't going to go really well. Um, but he's, he is that important. I think, look, it's, it's going to be fascinating because we've only brought in one midfielder. But Eddie Howe doesn't know his best midfielder. In my opinion, I don't think he'll really know going into Tuesday what what he's going to do just right right now because, like I think um, Sai said, he's got, there's a couple of headaches now. I think it's going to be it's going to be a challenge for him, but it's also it's good, longer term. It's going to be great when all of these players kind of know how they're going to play together because there's going to be loads of different combinations of, the, of this midfield we need to use as the games come thick and fast, as we get through the Champions League into the latter stages, as we get to the League Cup uh, knockout uh, quarterfinals and semis, which we'll do. Um, there's going to be so many games to play in that I think what we saw yesterday was really encouraging that actually he's changed the midfield. And we were having to learn to play anyway because you've got to factor in that Barnes was playing as well. So it was a slightly different dynamic going forward. I actually thought the team looked way more balanced. We've, we've criticised over the last three, four games um, it being a bit lopsided, it feeling like we, we, we kind of, everyone was going down the right um, or, or left at different points in the game. Whereas yesterday it felt like we could go in any direction. There was a lot more balance across the, 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 the field. Um, as you say, Bruno could look left, he could look right. There was a pass on. Um, 
Gordon was making runs, Barnes was making runs, Longstaff same. You know, he's he's making space, he's opening up the, the midfield to give Bruno a little bit more space to do what he is. He wasn't on top of him, and that's probably something that that we hopefully have learned. And that's an instruction for Tonali and Bruno. So, all right, trust the other lad with the ball. You go and make space. You going you don't need to come and collect it. You don't need to come and pop it off. You might be used to having to do that with lesser teammates, but you guys are on the same level. You don't both need to do that job, and that's what's been missing. Whereas you're right, Longstaff and Anderson to an, to an extent knew to do that and to, to try and do something else, go and run off the ball. That said, I thought as the game went on, like you say, Johnny, uh, Anderson started to do a bit of that himself. He was picking up the ball, he was turning players, his confidence grew. And that's the play we saw in preseason. That's the play that we think can damage teams, can actually justify starting spots in this in this midfield. And that's what we need. He needs game time and confidence. Longstaff should just play every game because he's class. But yeah, I, I thought that midfield worked beautifully uh, and the, the whole 11 worked beautifully, despite the fact that we've said... It wasn't, you know, an all-guns, all-out attack. It wasn't. A, we didn't create loads of chances, but you know, the mitigation for that is the way Brentford played. And I thought we did, we did a job. I think nothing does more for a player's sort of reputation with his own fans than not being available. Like literally, if you if you're not getting played, Joe Willock now. well, this I'm literally just about to talk about Joe Willock. Like if you're not getting play, if you're not getting picked or you're injured, your stock rises and rises and rises because every problem with the team, people go, well, if only they were there, because it's just it's a really easy sort of like solution to have. We, last season, had a really, really, really great system of sometimes playing Joe Linton on the left-hand side of attack, and him and Willock would swap around. Some, and as you say, sometimes players go towards Bruno and sometimes players go away from him. And then when they were rotating, that's effectively what was happening. Willock was fantastic at carrying the ball up the pitch, moving us up the pitch, moving away from Bruno with the ball, whereas Joe Linton was very good at getting closer into the middle, helping us compete in the midfield battles allowing us to get numerical superiority, doing all that. And it was a really difficult thing for other teams to try and figure out. Not having Joe Willock in and not having that sort of like interchange, that sort of ability for players to, to, to try and do something a bit different or to, to flip the, the, the format on its head, is it's made us quite predictable. It's made mm. us quite two-dimensional. I think, and I, 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 none of us want to talk about the Liverpool game again, but we seem to have one way of getting at Liverpool with 10 men. And when they stopped us doing that, we didn't seem to know really what to do. Nobody was comfortable trying something a bit different. And I just think the more options we bring in, and Anderson's fantastic for this because Anderson can play further forward. I think ideally he's meant to be a number 10, isn't he? Like in an ideal world, having this sort of, flexibility, this, this dynamism is, is only going to improve us in the long run. And I, I agree that I don't think he knows what his best midfield is. He knows what his idealised midfield is in terms of what it's supposed to be able to do. But when you look at the performance yesterday, there are games where that is absolutely how we are going to want to play. And mm. both Longstaff and Elliot Anderson, despite not being sexy names, do things that Tonali and Joe Linton don't. Anderson's a really interesting one for the reason that you say, Adam, now last season on this podcast we talked a lot. His, his kind of breakout game last season was Nottingham Forest away when he comes yeah. on and four hours of maximum at half time and plays left forward and scores a perfectly good goal yeah, which is disallowed not another and, one and just and just <laughs> caused apps Forest didn't could not handle him they weren't prepared since then and, and in pre-season Howe has played him on the left side of midfield and that's that's been an interesting thing to me what I noticed about Anderson most yesterday's side is not so much that his confidence improved as the, as the game goes on but as, as the team got better and particularly when we took the lead, they were willing to give him the ball in situations mm. where one or two things was going to happen. One, he was going to turn his player and we're in, and he did that three or four times yep. as the game went on, or he's going to get dispossessed. And it's almost like the team had to believe in itself to think, okay, every time Anderson receives the ball in the half turn in the opponent's half, it, it's like a low percentage chance of success overall compared to just knocking the ball back to yeah. a centre-back or, or, or playing it to Sean Longstaff. 
Anderson needs the confidence of his teammates to think, give him the ball, and if it doesn't work, we'll Fine. deal with it. Yeah, it's because that's because, for me, he's, he's an attacking player, a number yeah. 10, playing in midfield. So he's still giving you plenty of the midfield dynamics that Howe is after. You know, he runs a lot, he closes players down, he's box to box, he has the fitness, he has the physicality mm-hmm. to deal with being an Eddie Howe midfielder. But he does things that none of those four other midfields, possibly apart from Joe Willock, mm-hmm. um, can actually do. So he's, he's, he's almost such an offensive option in that position that in games against teams like Brentford yesterday, who were back to front very quick and just balls into areas type, type of team yesterday, it, the game kind of passes him by in those situations. But that's okay, because as the game went on, as Newcastle get better and Newcastle push, he's going to come into the game more. Yeah. But he's, he, he's kind of a player, I feel, that... He's not going to be like Bruno or even Tanali or Joe Linton, who, who you can't miss them in games. They're so essential to what Newcastle do or, or how the midfield operates. He's just an outlier to all of Newcastle's midfielders. Makes him exciting, makes him an option. Yeah, that's exactly it. I still possibly believe his best position, like you said, is further forward. I just, I just think he's a player who you want with the ball at his feet in the opponent's final third rather than your own final third or, or shielding it. But great option to have, great option to have. Longstaff, one thing I will say about me yesterday... Brentford fancied our left side. And there's the Dan Burn and Kieran Trippier dynamic to come into that. But there's also um, Burn had Anderson and Barnes in front of him, which is not... Well, we said this at kickoff. I was, I was going to be really interested to see how that works because Harvey Barnes has a lot of great things going for him. Elliot Anderson, we've just spoken about, has a lot of great things going for him. Neither of them strike you as these are two positionally very aware, very sort of like space competent footballers. I've just made, that's not a real thing. I've just made <laughs> space competent. Do you know what I mean? Like they sort of understand exactly where they are and what to do at every given time. They know what they can do and they, they impact the game that way. But as you say, an Eddie Howe midfielder is somebody who has a 360 degree picture going on. They tend to be positionally excellent. Neither of them are that player. And I thought I put a lot of responsibility, I think, on Dan Byrne to kind of like, we were opposite side of the pitch in that first half and you could hear Dan Byrne through the entire first half just constantly shouting at the pair of them, effectively managing them on the pitch and moving them around. I think Byrne deserves a lot of credit for, because you're right, they absolutely did fancy going down that side for us and they didn't really get much joy. They didn't get much joy as well and they put Brian and Bremo on that side as well and arguably Brentford's biggest strength while Ivan Tony's not playing isn't Brian and Bremo and he didn't get much change out of Dan Burnham. I thought he had a little bit in the first half, but not too much. But second half, it was he was very, very quiet. And I, I know, obviously, everybody will talk about Dan Byrne going forward, as I've mentioned earlier in the pod. But defensively, so steady. Like oh, no, he's he's no one played well against Brian. No one played well against Brian. But and, and like I mean, like everybody didn't play well. But in this game yesterday, you come off that pitch and going, did Byrne get beat much? Did he get, did did we have any threat down? Did Brentford have any threat down that? And our left hand side, their right hand side, not really, not really. You, you won everything in the exactly. And this was a team that went area yesterday, and he won. Yeah. I, I promise you, Thomas Frank would have been much happier if Newcastle fans could pick the team and Lewis Hall played yesterday. He'd have been delighted mm. with that, yeah. with the way they approached the game. Let's talk about the defence though briefly. Sven Botman comes back in, and Newcastle keep a clean oh. sheet. Only the third clean sheet since January. That's not it's a bad That's stat. Absolutely it's, it's, wild. it's crazy. I think the other two were Man United and Leicester. Um, it, much, much needed. Sven Botman comes in and just looks so good. He, he just calms me as a man <laughs> watching football. <laughs> I'm just calm. You know, he'll get he'll get batshit balls put into him from colleagues. It's fine. It's it's a it's a one touch wrong foot. 
pass out to the wing. It's absolutely fine. It's it's like sliding tackles. He doesn't go to ground when he doesn't have to go to ground. It's composure. We just look like a much much better football team with Sven Botman. Thoughts? Anyone? It's it it goes throughout the team because I mean it does. It, every time I watch Sven Botman play, I do feel like a cat that has curled up on his lap <laughs> and getting just a very huge hand gently down my back. It goes throughout the entire team. Like everybody is far more assured in their own touch, assured in their own decisions. Because if we do lose the ball, well, it's not the end of the world because Sven, Bo- Sven Botman's there. He'll mop up things. People aren't afraid to sort of press forward to try and get into slightly different positions because Sven Botman will mop things up as they come through. And I think you can't underestimate what it does to the opposition team as well because they put Mbwemo on that side, but that is Sven Botman's side as well. He plays mm-hmm. left-sided centre-back. And I thought Burn was excellent, but can you imagine you're Brian Mbwemo and you go, can you just try and find some space between Dan Byrne there, who is playing left-back but is a centre-back, and you won't win anything in the air against, and between Sven Botman, who is another centre-back, who you will not beat in a foot race, you will not be able to sort of pull out a position. It's, it's absolutely impossible to get anything. When they're when the team's playing properly and those two are in the side, it's impossible to get in there. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think, I know obviously Brighton was ridiculously bad, but when you have... I don't like Dan Byrne moving to the centre back and Matt Target but moving left back. It just showed how weak we were, and that's no disrespect Matt Target, but he's just not at that level at this moment in time in terms of a left back. But for me, Sven Botman's biggest strength is his reading of the game. Yeah, he, he's oh, just, he's, he's just the picture he's got in his mind is unbelievable. He, you're quite right. It's like I know that's going to happen. I know that's going to happen. So I have to be there, or I have to do this, or I have to do that. And well, obviously, we talk about Bruno is probably the best player, but is Botman the most important player right now for Newcastle he has to stay fit yeah. and he will play the big big games and as long as he's fit he plays the big big games he plays every game if he's, if he's available exactly he exactly like, and that's probably why we've got so many big games right now but he, he has to play as many as he can because he's so vital to that defence like him and Fabian Scher are, are a fantastic partnership which is just it's, it is excellent to watch it is so so good to watch and when it when they, when they do get tested at times you know, it's, it's good to see him have a bit of a challenge as well. If you're being a neutral Newcastle fan, which I think is impossible, but it, it, he's, he's just, he's excellent. He's so, so good. And he will be, if he stays at Newcastle for, for a couple more years, he will be Newcastle's one of the, or if Newcastle's best centre-back in Premier League era. Good, that good. For Newcastle to achieve what they want to achieve this season, they're going to have to keep a lot of clean sheets. That, that was, yeah. we're going to have to replicate a lot of last season's success. And last season's success was based on being the best defensive team in the Premier League. Now, they don't have to be the best or the joint best again this season to achieve what they want to achieve, but they're going to have to get close to it. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a huge step forward yesterday. It was one of those games where the opposition comes to St. James's Park and you don't notice your own goalkeeper making a save. He makes one early doors down our left side when, when they did get in. And after that, the goalkeeper, apart from claiming a couple of balls and shepherding the ball out of play a couple of times, just isn't an active participant in the game and that is as much of a reminder as last season than than anything else there was absolutely no chaos at any point uh, if you think back to Brighton there were so many times when you think what are they doing where are they they're all over the place it's a shambles and even like the last 20 minutes against Liverpool there were several occasions where you just think what has happened how have they become so disjointed but you're absolutely right there was um the way that we ended up having to play there where Trippier is getting forward and you kind of the, the, the defence is back as a three and being pulled left and, and right and then there's times when Cher's being pulled out of defence and you think nobody else well even us was a bit short here but because Botman's the one left you think actually yeah Cher just go on have a, have a run mate go and get yourself forward go and have a it's a great point but, but the team and the player are comfortable with him being left one yeah, one exactly They're comfortable Shaw can't do it I, I think we've played badly this season for about 105 minutes 
and it's from when Sven Botman went off the pitch against <laughs> Liverpool and, yeah. and Brighton. And as, as easy, as lazy as it sounds to be like, well, when Sven Botman doesn't play, we don't play well. It is, the, the science is in front of you. It is a different football team when they don't have Sven Botman in that side. And we got so fortunate last year with his fitness, with his injuries. You know, he barely, once he came into the team, that was it. He just stayed in there. Even when the fixtures started piling up, even when we had the, the League Cup run. It's it's not so much that we need to keep clean sheets. We need to, en masse as a city, start praying that that man has no soft muscle injuries, that he has no sort of spills down the stairs when he's making his coffee in the morning. We need, like, such an enormous slice of fortune to just, for him to not get the normal amount of injuries a footballer is supposed to get. As long as he stays fit, if he can play, we might end up playing 50, 60 games this season. That's impossible to ask one player who's that important to play 90 minutes every three days until like June or something. But if you can, great. We'll win it all. At the next fan engagement, I'm going to press, or not me, I hope fans or the trust or whoever press the owners on them luxury bungalow developments. Sahara's players in <laughs> no stairs. No stairs. No stairs. Get all those, I don't know, the, the things you put on the corner of tables to stop babies splitting their heads. <laughs> just that on every surface. We're going to move on to uh, part three, last part of the show. Now, a couple more adverts coming up back after these. This this win, this beautiful win, not only is it quite important for the main event this season, which is the Premier League. You know, I look at that league table. I haven't looked at the league table at all this season, apart from day one, because we're top. Yep. But since <laughs> I haven't looked at it at all, and you realise, wow, we're up to 11th on six points, but the pace setters are pretty much run on 13 or 12 points, Man City on 15. And you're like, well, okay, so it's a seven-point gap now. If that had been a you know, a nine-point gap or a ten-point gap, it, 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 it does start to get quite big, so massive in that context. But, Johnny, also with Milan coming up, one of the, the, the most anticipated fixtures in a long time for this this fan base and this football club, does this win just make your flight a, a, across a, a, a much easier one and, and allow you to enjoy what's going to happen a little bit more? I can't wait. I literally can't wait. But I, I would have enjoyed it anyway because it's Newcastle in the Champions League. Geordie's in the Champions League, I'm sure. There'll be so many Newcastle fans out there who will be loving every single second of it, myself included. And the the Brentford game was more, as we mentioned, a relief. So you can enjoy it even yeah. more going into Tuesday. Um, but yeah, San Siro, Milan, seven-time <laughs> winners against Newcastle United. It's still, I, I, remember, I remember, I was literally this morning before, before I went, I was like Sky Plus in it. And I was just like, AC Milan versus Newcastle United. Like, it's, it's mad, isn't it? We, we were saying what? after the game, like people were like, oh, we've got Milan on Tuesday. Like, just stop. Just stop. Take that sentence in. We've got Milan on Tuesday. It's like even when you go to work and you're just like, oh, um, I can just have a couple of hours off. I've got PSG at home. Mm-hmm. Like, like just little things like that. It just doesn't make sense. But yeah, look, it, the fact that Milan got battered as well off Inter 5-1, they're going to be so down going this game it, I think it's written for Sandro Tonali to have a big impact oh, there's enormous pressure on enormous pressure on them going into this game because we're, we're the full seeds you know we mm. have been around for a while we're the unfancied I know you, you get all the bookmakers and everybody's saying we've got a really good chance I've seen the quarterfinal thing by the way and everyone's like oh the bookmakers think we're going to get to the quarterfinals like no no we're the only team that can't draw Man City in the second round exactly. that's why our odds are good there <laughs> but like we, we can just enjoy this like Dortmund have to beat us it's a terrible result if they don't beat us. Home and away. PSG, the same. Milan, the same. We can just... But we know it's not going to be like that. We know we're going to start to take a load of points off these. And the pressure that's on those teams to not get turned over by plucky Newcastle is enormous. You could tell, even when watching the draw, as soon as our name got pulled oh, out by Joe God, Cole... sick. And you heard the... Ooh, and it was like, oh, no. 
Oh no, but the thing is, like, I look at you look at the teams that we've, we're up against. PSG got beat. You take Mbappe out of that team for me, it's not scary. It's not like it's oh not. my god, AC Milan are a bit all over the place. Dortmund, look, Dortmund have got pedigree, of course they have, and it's going to be it, they're just fantastic tests for this Newcastle United. It's fantastic test for Eddie Howe against some incredible players. Like we say, we're talking about Mbappe, but can I say that we go to Milan? Not well, probably as underdogs, of course, but thinking actually going to Milan and winning in Milan. You know, I'm used to going to Barnsley and thinking, can we beat Barnsley on a Tuesday night? <laughs> yeah. Or beating Crystal Palace in the League Cup second round on a Tuesday night. Not AC Milan in the Champions League. I think there's a very strong possibility that Newcastle United do not lose this game on Tuesday night. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that the um, the way yesterday went, uh, is, is uh, other than the three points, like you say, the, the big relief that comes with that, but the fact that we didn't need to bring all the lads off the bench. So you've got Isaac and Tonali, they, they just rested, you know, I'm going to say rested, um, and probably going to play this game fully fully ready for it like like almost like you've been you've been kept for this one lads this one's this is your time to shine uh, i think it's we've got a nice run of fixtures because had we not even if we drawn yesterday you you're looking ahead to that Sheffield United game next week thinking well we definitely need to win that so we probably just need to have one eye on what we're going to do for that whereas this is like we still should beat them by the way it's still very important that we beat Sheffield United but the way that we can now rotate the team, and I, I prefer Wilson for those domestic fixtures. I probably prefer Anderson and Longstaff for those domestic fixtures. So I think we can now see what our European lads are versus what our, our games are. And the fact that we're playing Sheffield United and Burnley next between these games um, is it, it's just it's kind of falling into place. And you're right, I'm at the point now where I'm thinking, I'm going to win. We're probably going to win. This run of fixtures, international break to international break, is is absolutely massive for Newcastle United. And I think the importance of winning yesterday has to be viewed through the context of this whole little period yeah. when our Champions League future this season will possibly be written with with two games in Milan away and PSG at home. If you, you lose both, it's very unlikely you're mm-hmm. going to get out of the group. But like you said, Johnny, I don't think Newcastle will lose both. Then it was Brentford, Sheffield United, Burnley and West Ham in the league. Four fixtures that you think Newcastle will be looking for nine points from yeah. as a minimum. Uh, to achieve what we want to achieve this season. And I just think this Brentford win yesterday is, I think we'll look back on it as being an absolute springboard for the mm. hopefully incredible things we're going to achieve over the next two, two and a half weeks. I think I miss Manchester City out of there as well in the League Cup, which is a big game, and I think Newcastle will win that too. It's it's, it's mental to think that we can actually go to most of these oppositions and uh, most of these teams and think, actually, yeah, we can win. Look, I, I have to be honest, I think it will be a special, special evening on Tuesday night for all sorts of reasons. And for people listening to the pod, close your eyes and just think of that Champions League music (laughs) and just think we deserve this. The amount of rubbish that we've seen, the likes of God knows, you know, rubbish players and rubbish performances and Steve Bruce playing five at the back against Wolves or something like that. Just think this is the moment where you go, we get to enjoy this. So we get to enjoy Newcastle United playing the creme de la creme of European football. And we're going to go toe to toe with them as well. And I think that is the most pleasing aspect. Like we've, we've never, it's just amazing. Like the amount of chance that we're going to be singing. You know that we've never seen a Mac and the Land chant will be sang about a billion times. But you know what? I'm ready to sing it a billion and one times. <laughs> Do you know what? I think it's a good point you make because, like, we are so used to. Well, I, and we're not used to it anymore. We've had, we've had an amazing eighteen months. We know who we are. We know what our identity as a football club. I don't think for one second we're going to turn up and we're going to look to limit Milan, that we're going to be behind the ball, that we're going to be looking to... to, to we're going to go in there showing them any more respect than they actually deserve. We will take that game to them. Win, lose or draw, we will take that game to them and we will really put in a performance. And it's just to be able to say that, not, oh, I hope we can get it. We are not going to play 
in the San Siro the way Brentford have just played in St. James's Park. Mm-hmm. And I think that is an enormous thing we need to be aware of. We need to just drink it in. If you go in, drink it in. If you watch it on telly, just drink it in because we're in such a good place. Well, I was going to ask you, lads. So Johnny and I are both there. Charlotte's there from True Faith as well. Uh, a few of the True Faith contributors there, but also Si and Adam, you guys are, are not there. Just just uh, like most people listening to this, I assume you'll have plans. What, what, what are you going to do on your first Champions League Champions League match day one? Yeah, it's an early finish from work, which I wouldn't normally do for a midweek fixture. You know, if it's a League Cup, um, I probably wouldn't be leaving work any earlier or, or treating it that different. Uh, if it was away in the League Cup and I wasn't going, I'd probably just be like, yeah, I'll just watch it on the telly later while I'm having my tea. Whereas this, <laughs> you know, I've already made plans with the lads. We're going to go out and watch it in town, a big group of um, I think the city's going to be alive. Yes, there'll be 4,000, 5,000 over in Italy, but there'll be 10, 20,000 supporters yeah. in, in pubs across the city, which is just wild for a football match on a Tuesday night. It feels like we haven't really had the need to do it. There'll be, be pubs thinking, do we need to put staff on? Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to turn this podcast into a platform to talk about the various travel companies who should be in jail for what they've done to me and my friends regarding this game. <laughs> but uh, I'm away down to London as soon as we finish recording this. I'll be, I've got to, I'll be watching it down there. And I believe I'll be in the Dolphin, which is the Newcastle United supporters pub by King's Cross. Not that I'm, I shouldn't be saying that because the last thing wants more people turning <laughs> up because it's already going to be absolutely <laughs> round. But. Brilliant. We'll leave this podcast there. Thanks so much uh, for listening. Thanks to you guys for, for giving such good contributions. We're on Patreon. If there's a time to come and join us, it is now. It's three to eight pounds per month. So for two pounds a week or there or thereabouts, you will get an extra 13 podcasts this week on Newcastle United. We'll be in Milan bringing you podcasts from Milan, from the away end. We're previewing every fixture. We have opposition fans on as well to give you the lowdown of what is going to happen from their perspective. Come and join us. Support this podcast. It keeps this podcast going that you're listening to. keeps it free of charge. Would love to have you along. Almost a thousand others are with us on Patreon and would love to have you along as well. Sai will be back for you on Tuesday night with another one of these free podcasts. So I look forward to listening to that one, Sai. Hopefully we're talking about a positive result for Newcastle United in the San Siro and Milan. Thanks very much for listening. Bye-bye. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.